we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You'll find us competitive. Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to the 29th episode of the third sub. I hope everyone is doing well, staying safe. We're back for another episode, you know, second one this week. And this one, this time we got something new to talk about. It's been a bit of a white caps heavy couple of weeks here. I think, you know, honestly, like a good 10 or so episodes of just white caps content. And I think when you're the only, you know, when the only Canadian soccer teams in action are MLS ones, I think that's to be expected. But I'm excited for this one. We're going to be talking all things and only CPL today. So for all our Canadian Premier League fans, this is the one for you. For those who are wanting to learn about the Canadian Premier League, kind of like, kind of like Sam is as well. So you know, this is this is one for you. But before we go into things, I'm your co-host Alexander Gongiruzic. Beside me, well, virtually, is Samuel Rowan. How are you doing this week? And you excited to talk some CPL? Yeah, could not be more excited, really. It's, I've been waiting quite a while. I was really looking forward going into this year to getting myself more well-versed in the CPL scene. And obviously, that's been put significantly on hold. But we finally, we have, you know, pen to paper, so to speak. There's a plan in place there's, you know, matches we're going to get to talk about at some point and, and lots of little tidbits out of the press conference yesterday and the format announcement and the location announcement that we're going to dive into. So uh, happy to be back and yeah, fun to, we've been enjoying the Whitecaps, but it's also good to get to talk about something a little bit different. Well, it's just, it's, it's good to have the CPL back. I mean, if y'all, if y'all are familiar listeners, if you stuck with us through the our hour two hour rambles we'd go on during the pandemic where we'd you know just talk about whatever we had on our mind you know we you know that we were a fan of the idea of the cpl returning and you know we knew that the, we we certainly were proponents of saying okay maybe this the cpl could return and canada's caseload is low and you know there, there's an opportunity here and i think we are disappointed on one hand that that didn't happen earlier it does feel like even if you look at a league like the CEBL, the basketball league that just kicked off all Canadian, despite what David Klanikin said in the press conference yesterday, the, the first all Canadian sports league to kick off was the CEBL. But, you know, they kicked off a few weeks ago, oh, a week ago. Now, you could have thought the CPL could have kicked off early July, late June. And, you know, you're not going to hold them against it because of what I'll give them credit for. And we'll kind of dive into it is their plan is pretty clean especially after what we saw from MLS I mean the MLS bubble has worked to a T but there there was some iffiness with how they handled teams traveling and all that and the CPL plan is a lot more clear a lot more articulate a lot more laid out but you know what I'll give them credit for taking the time necessary to you know to put out a good plan a plan that appears mostly you know mostly foolproof so you know, we're happy to have it back. We're happy that this league seems to, to set up a safe plan for its players. And, 
you know, I mean, there, there are some issues that the league does need to ha- to hammer out. And I think we'll kind of talk about it in, in a bit, you know, just things like, you know, communication with fans and players and even media. And, you know, you talk about players union, but you know what, it is a new league, that kind of stuff happens, but I, you know, it's just all about accountability and just withholding itself to the highest standard. And I think for the most part, they've shown to be able to do that, especially on the pitch or with their kits or with their atmosphere, with their broadcast. So no doubt that once, you know, once they get through this rough patch, hopefully they can continue to, to bring their A game. But we're excited to, to have CPL soccer back on the, the menu. Yeah, and I think it kind of echo similar sentiments where, uh, you know, same as you, Alex, obviously you'd like to have seen CPL soccer return earlier and maybe, you know, gain a, a bigger piece of the pie in terms of viewership and in terms of audience. But at the same time, everything that I've heard through the press conference yesterday and through everything that's been released, like it could not be sort of prouder in a way of an all Canadian league taking, you know, health and safety so seriously. And it seems like this is it to me as thorough and as well thought out of a league return to play plan that we've seen. Because, I mean, we've seen what's happened in the MLB where they just kind of decided we're just going to return to play in markets. We're going to do normal travel, and it's completely backfired on them. The MLS, to a certain extent, had had some issues. They they had a plan, but maybe it wasn't fully thought out. So to see how, how detailed the CPL has been, it, it's very encouraging. And obviously, there's a trade-off there because that takes time. And, um, you know, it's just it's a shame that you couldn't have had that detailed plan and a much earlier return to play, you know, to kind of give the league the, the publicity and notoriety it could have used. But at the same time, I think you're still going to get a lot of people watching CPL matches when they do return. And, and speaking of that, we've got the format and Alex, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the first stage group stage championship final style that they've gone with. What are your, your initial thoughts on that in comparison to some of the other formats we've seen and just maybe a word as well about the fact that this is going to be the you know the 2020 season that this is it so uh your thoughts there well just kind of thinking about what you said I think one thing that I'm not again preface this I'm not disappointed that they can't do it I'm more just disappointed that it isn't happening and at the same time I accept the realities of the situation you know you just you the CPL is well set up to handle I feel travel across markets and you know from a health and safety perspective with the caseload being rather low but at the same time financially you know for what they're going to need to do extra and to to do all that travel and not be playing in front of fans it doesn't make sense so I'm not gonna you know pretend like that could have worked it does feel like having only a minimum of seven games for a season it, it does feel like there could be more you know, it does certainly feel like there could be more, maybe not like a full 30 game season, but maybe a minimum of 14, like each team plays each other twice. For example, I, I did wonder that just because it'll feel really weird to have some teams only play seven games and give out a golden boot and a trophy and all that based on that. And, you know, that, that does, that part of the equation does certainly, it just doesn't feel right. But at the same time, I think the CPL playing seven games and every team will play the other team. So it's not like there's going to be an imbalance of, of competition or, you know, again, MLS is back where theoretically you could just play all the, not, you could get drawn with three, not good teams, win your group, 
play a third place team that just shouldn't have been there, you know, cause they have like a minus four goal difference and they etched out a win on the last day. Well, not to say the white caps are that, but yeah, cough, you know, cough, white caps, cough, cough. Well, well, maybe not the white caps, but you know, maybe one of those other third place teams. Cause yeah, the white caps put up a heck of a fight and they've, they've got other issues, but you know, at least it's going to be a balanced format. And I'll give, I like the format and how from a tournament perspective, it's one of the nicer tournament formats I've seen. I mean, first round for those who don't know all eight teams play each other once so that's about as balanced as you can get there's no bs there's no like we're in a six team group like an mls group is back group a and we only play the two of our teams so theoretically if we're lucky we'll play like miami and nashville the two you know the two expansion teams like that's such a ridiculous format like this eight group where everyone plays each other everyone gets a chance to prove okay we're better than you. And then after that, the top four teams go to a second round. But instead of doing a knockout and leaving it to chance, you play every other team again. Okay, that you beat me the first time, 4-0, 2-0. It's not a fluke. Prove it again. Play every team. And then in the final, well, a one-game final, you like to see a two-leg final, but there's no home advantage anyways. It's a neutral site. And kudos to CPL. As much as I would have liked it at Langford for – a multitude of reasons like you know obviously could have gone to go catch some games at west hills and cover them etc etc i think sam definitely would have definitely would have headed over for a few as well but charlottetown's about as neutral venues you can get i mean they do support halifax over at pei from what it seems like uh the pei the charlottetown islanders the qmjhl team was tweeting that pretty snarkily yesterday like oh we're how we're all wanderers fans here so you guys know but that's a pretty neutral site so you know what? It's a neutral site. Every team's got an equal chance. Like I like it. I'm, I'm on board. I don't know, Sam, what you think, but I'm on board for the format. Wish for more games, but I could wish for more, always be wishing for more games. Well, yeah, I think I'm going to kind of not fully counter your, your comment about more games, but I guess just point out the, the value and the format that they've gone with is that unlike, you know, MLS, you had the feeling of every match matters, but as you pointed out, you have the weird intricacies, pardon me, of the group stage and not playing every team. And then you also have the, the, you had this weird dichotomy in MLS where it's the regular season, but it's also a one-off tournament. And it's also not the real regular season, which makes it very confusing, at least with this. What I kind of love is that those seven matches, like they're all very important. Like the, the state, you can already feel the stakes there and having you, you only play each team once. Like you don't, it's not, Oh, well, we have a return legs. We have a second match to kind of make up for this. No, you have to produce a result against that team every time you go out. And same thing, obviously for the second stage. And, and so I think in terms of, in terms of viewership and in terms of like understanding the gravity of each match, I think that's going to be really, really special. And I'm really looking forward to that. So yes, obviously, you know, we love content. We love stuff to talk about. So selfishly, you'd like to have double the matches in that initial stage. But I think it also, it just raises the stakes to a whole nother level. And I'm, I'm excited from that perspective. Well, you know, it's very true for the the stakes of each game. And I think it's going to be really, apparent to see the value in games as a tier uh, you know as tiers kind of start to establish themselves at a tournament obviously I think in a bit we'll kind of give an idea of who, who we think our tiers of teams are heading into this tournament what we're expecting from each team but 
at the same time, we always know this, notice this in tier tournaments like this. You look at that MLS is back. You know, you look at all World Cup tournaments. What happens quickly after a few games is we there's this hierarchy of, okay, the big guys to watch. And some of them you know ahead of time. You know Brazil and France and England, or not England really, but, you know, France, Brazil, you know, the Netherlands when they're there, you know, you th- Italy. You, like, you know, just teams that are always going to be good, even if their team isn't good. Like, you know, that, if that makes sense. Like, there's just these giants that you see and you get scared of. And obviously the CPL is too new to have that. I mean, Forge and Cavalry have kind of already set up that mentality. But as the tournament goes along after four games, I think we'll see a clear, like, one, two, three, maybe, or a one, two at the top that are already going to be pretty much through after four games. But then for that middle bracket, like say a team is in sixth and they know that with the win against the second place team, they can leapfrog in a fourth. It's going to be incredible. And I think for that, that those first two rounds are going to be must watch TV for if you like soccer. And I think the last round to a single game knockout final, like sign me up. But, you know, I guess on that on that note you know we could we'll, we'll move on to maybe some of the the pro, the broadcast and some of the you know speaking of that you know like must must watch tv and it, it sounds like the cpls are really going to lean into this whole you know made for tv aspect and i'm kind of curious to hear what you have to say on that sam well yeah if there was one thing that really stood out to me throughout the press conference yesterday it was that cpl commissioner david Clanican, is that am i saying that correctly i, I want to Clanican or Clanican. Yeah, um but he was really emphasizing the broadcast product they were going to put out and the the interactive and innovative nature of that and obviously it's kind of a, a song and dance we've heard before with uh with mls there were certainly some promises made and and, and from the MLS some delivered some not delivered. yeah and, and and you know we will give credit I think to the MLS where credit is due some of the things that went really wrong in the first couple matches they improved upon as the tournament went on like that Adidas logo didn't look quite as ridiculous they, they used, started putting stats on they the put, field you know or even even little touches like the logos with the scores at halftime like it was they did overall in, increase you know the utility of those tools as the tournament went on. But it sounds like the CPL is planning a, a whole different level, but, uh, but I don't know exactly what that's going to be. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, what the advertisement looks like, what kind of stats, what kind of extra features and camera angles the CPL is looking into, looking into as they, you know, prepare for this tournament. But it seems like that's a, there's been a big emphasis put on that. So kind of, you know, it's, it's a wait and see venture, but uh, very intrigued just to see exactly what that looks like. Well, like to talk on that, I think it's important to, to know how, I think how good the broadcasts are going to be. I think, you know, one thing that they mentioned is that the PEI, the, the stadium they're going to use for all games. I think, unfortunately it's turf. So I I'm, you know, that's not going to be fun for the players, especially if it's hot and it's just, you know, that's going to be one heck of a work in progress, but it sounds like they've already started renovations. So like they're probably going to put in a really good camera angle with renovations, you know, probably have a crane there that can like push up the camera angle. Cause obviously since it's a university stadium, typically those kinds of places don't always have the greatest broadcast. 
angles or you know you think of west hills's angle one that was certainly going to be a question mark if they hosted what what were they going to do with the camera angle if fans had to watch at home and honestly as, as perfect as victoria was of an, a location that might have i do wonder if that was one of the sticking points for the league was the camera angle considering you know there's no fans so you know it sounds like they're going to be renovating the field to really improve the broadcast quality so you know they're going to add in things they need more cameras you know broadcast booths and all that and i think one good thing of of that that was you know announced is that the one soccer crew said they were all going to travel to to the league or well, to the to charlottetown with the league and they're going to do test testing obviously so they could be in the bubble so you know that's one thing that i noted with you know the mls bubble some some media were in the bubble but there isn't that kind of access beyond the in-team media in the bubble and sometimes yeah, like you could you could really feel the separation at times it, it was very noticeable and it's like the in-team media is good and all but it's like it gives you they kind of give you what you want to see or what they want to see and like that's normal that's their job they want to show what's real like what's what's going on in their team's bubbles but at the same time the outside media they'll you know it's more it'll be more not to say honest as in they're lying, but it'll be more, it is what it is. You know, it's going to be, if, if a team is going through struggles, they're going to show the team going through struggles. If there's animosity, if there's good vibes, they're going to show that it's not just going to be, you know, whatever the, the team wants to, you know, to get out there. And that's kind of that, you know, that's good about having one soccer. And I think having that broadcast team for all matches is huge. Cause I think back to last year watching like, a Pacific game on a Wednesday, for example, I remember watching one specific for the first 15 minutes. They just straight up didn't have a commentator. And then they seems like they brought in this English guy who was in Toronto. They jammed him in the studio. He was on his own. He didn't know like half the players. It was just an absolute mess. And I was like, you know, like for as good as the one soccer broadcast were at times, you had moments like that where you're like, you know, and then, then you had some games like where they had the full team, they had the panel, they had you know, a color, they had, you know, you play by play. I mean, Gareth Wheeler and Terry Dunfield, they really like they're entertaining when, when they were on the mic for CPL games and, you know, national team games when they called it. They had, you know, the whole panel, with you know, Kurt Larson and Astor Raymond and Oliver Platt and, you know, Oliver Jenkins, like they were entertaining. They know what they're talking about when it comes to CPL and they had sideline reporters. Like, if they can do that whole, replicate that whole experience for every team, it's going to make a huge difference. And I think it's going to be something to watch for. So, if we're going to continue to talk about one soccer a little bit, um, obviously, all all matches, the broadcast plan is through their deal to you know have the matches available on one soccer. But uh, the CPL commissioner also sort of hinting yesterday that they're they're at least in conversations with national media outlets to look at broadcasting you know some matches to a greater audience and so i'm kind of interested alex for your your view or your opinion on uh you know the broadcasting and and whether or not you know it's necessary to have those games on on other networks because i think from a you're obviously you've got cpl fans who are invested in their team's they're going to be paying for one soccer. They're going to have that subscription. They're going to be watching, but there's always that kind of back and forth on, you know, what is the benefit of making it available to a greater audience? I think it's huge. I think it's one of the big complaints of the league last year. And I think their CBC deal was 
really good, but it was only 20 games. It was a game a week. And it was just one game out of like three or four. And it just, you know, it's tough for, for some fans who don't understand streaming or casual fans who don't have the technology to connect their computers to their TV, or they just don't like watching soccer on their computer on their phone. I mean, some of us, we just like watching soccer on the phone, but I'm not going to lie. I like putting it on my TV and just having it, especially because the streams are always delayed. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, the zone or if it's like, you know, a terrible stream, like it's always going to be delayed. It's something nice about having it live on TV, like as close to, you know, live as possible. That, that experience is just hard to replicate. But I did at the CPL finals, obviously, there was a lot of talk of broadcasting. Obviously, the final was broadcast. I mean, the second leg was on tape delay, which was a bit unfortunate. The first leg was live, at least. And it did get a lot of attention on the league. But I know what the Media Pro CEO, because, you know, for those who don't know, Media Pro is the spon- media sponsor of the league, and they created One Soccer, and they do broadcasts for the league and all that. But basically, like, the C- one of the big upset of Media Pro was at the, the CPL finals, and we got to sp- I asked him, you know, specifically, I'm like, okay, are we going to, could we expect a one soccer channel? Could we expect one soccer on TV next year? And he was like, oh, absolutely. That's our plan. That's, you know, it was pretty much as clear as he, as he could, as he could say, he told us, okay, we want to have one soccer on TV next year. So obviously now with the league not happening, they didn't take the make, you know, they didn't take the money and spend it on a one soccer channel. And to be fair, that would have been a futile exercise there's no reason for them to do that with no games and they're kind of you know there wasn't much content to talk about but a i do wonder if this tournament will see them finally put that channel up and b if not will they use their leverage as a big media company to kind of as clanikin said they're talking to two big networks i mean reading between the lines you think sportsnet tsn but obviously that you know from what i imagine it's two of Sportsnet, TSN, CTV, CBC, like, I don't know. You can throw any more networks at me that I'm missing. I'm, I'm guessing that it'll be, it'll be one of the, and maybe it'll be Sportsnet because Sportsnet certainly dives more into soccer and also into things like U sports broadcasts. And I kind of feel like there might be more of an appetite there. And then I would say CBC as well. If I had to guess, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going with Sportsnet and CBC. Well, I do wonder if TSN and CTV, because they do typically partner for stuff. And like, you know, they, they, CTV mm-hmm. owns TSN. So that also could be an option. But I do. I feel, yeah, I feel heard- like with the MLS content on TSN, they're, they're probably out in, in that respect, I would think. Yeah, well, to be fair, the tournament starts after the MLS is back. But then again, there is the possibility that MLS does return in normal but by the time. So, yeah, I think Sportsnet CBC is a good shout from you there. But, yeah, no, it, it's exciting to be, be on TV. I think it would be huge to get it on Sportsnet just so people clicking through, looking for stuff to watch. They see yeah. this, they give it a chance. I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but sometimes like that, having that just that barrier for entry into the sport can make a huge difference. Like the amount of people that you, you know, streaming is relatively easy. Sure. But there's, I think there's a surprisingly large amount of people that they go, Oh, well I have to what pull that up on my iPad and airplay it to my computer. It's like, Oh, I'm out. I can't be bothered. And so you just, you know, for a, for a young league that's trying to grow, that's trying to expand, you, you want to remove all the barriers possible. And so hopefully they're, they put together a decent 
you know, TV broadcast package, whether that's through setting up their own channel or, and, and also hopefully through some, some other networks, there's just, you want enough of the product widely accessible to pique that interest and, and really draw some new people in. Well, I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to make good viewership if it's on TV, because you're going to, obviously a lot of the CPL markets aren't traditional. Like I think Victoria instead of Vancouver on the West coast, I think, you know, obviously Edmonton and Calgary are big cities, but like Calgary doesn't really play. They play like an hour outside of Calgary anyways. And, you know, you think of, well, Winnipeg's a pretty big market, but you think of York nine just on the suburbs or Hamilton and, you know, Halifax, like they're going to get good viewership from these, some of those non-traditional markets. They're going to get some viewership from those big cities, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, Ottawa, you know, even Toronto, but also what's, you know, if it's on TV, it's going to help the word of mouth so much. Cause I know me, I have a lot of friends who watch soccer and like, we always convince them to watch MLS with us or watch it, be like, give it a chance. And like, we've actually swayed people to watch, start watching MLS regularly without us telling them. So like, when it's on TV, it helps. So if the CPL is on TV and they always hear us talking about the CPL and that's just from my perspective, cause I'm, I know I'm not the only one. Lots of people around are always, you know, you talk about things you watch. I feel like if it's on TV, that's going to make it so much easier to go up to a friend and be like, Hey, CPL games on tonight. You should check it out. You like soccer. Like, you know, like instead of being okay, you can borrow my one soccer and take my password or you have to pay 10 bucks for one soccer. And, you know, most people I know have TSN or Sportsnet or CBC or CTV. So if it's on there, it's so easy. Like, hey, you should check out, you know, Pacific today. They play really nice football, for example. Just say, you know, they throw that out there. Like, I, you, I think you'd really like the way Forge would play or auto. You know, it's just, it, it'd be so much easier to have that accessibility. And I think, you know, there's some people in, and especially you think some of the big Twitter presences that some of the CPL media have, if it's on TV, Imagine someone like, you know, think John Molinero, the director of content for the CPL now, formerly of sports, that he has a lot of North American followers from his time covering, you know, TFC and, you know, just Canadian soccer for Sportsnet. You know, if he's tweeting out, okay, guys, you know, you should check out the CPL. It's on TV now. Like, that's going to be a huge boost. You think of other people like that. If, if they can get it on TV, it's just the word of mouth can really make a difference. And, and so I guess continuing on some of the, the mechanisms of returning to play, one of the things we've seen across multiple leagues is the, the interaction between the players and the owners, you know, between a player's union and, and the ownership group to kind of come to terms on, on what a return to play plan looks like. And obviously in the CPL, this is something that's been a little bit different because, you know, the, the players are, are kind of in their infancy in terms of creating representation but uh we have seen you know significant developments with the pfa can earlier this year kind of organizing themselves and it was interesting to see here the cpl commissioner yesterday kind of i don't want to say sweep them under the rug but certainly not necessarily deliver the the recognition that the the pfa can was probably hoping for that, that's a whole can of worms. It frustrates me, frankly. Like, you know, obviously unions to, you know, to some people, they're not exactly viewed in, in a positive light. I think, well, obviously from a business perspective, and that's it's just disappointing because the unions are there for its workers and it's there to protect the people. And they're not there to cause any harm or to suck pennies out of 
So, you know, that's what kind of it feels like. It feels like, you know, the union, it always, the union just wants to like, you know, defend its interests where it, sometimes it feels like on the other side, people feel like the unions are just trying to suck up every penny or, you know, really hold the league hostage. And I feel like that's just not at all the case. And I feel like it feels so, you know, it just doesn't feel right to be so dismissive of the players union when they're just trying to protect players that frankly could use representation. Like, you know, like some of these players aren't making a lot of money or their futures are, you know, it's just not an easy time to be, you know, for a CPL player, at least MLS players now, thanks to the work they've done with their union over time, most of them like make comfortable money and like they're, you know, they're mostly okay. And some of them make some big bucks now with all these mechanisms, but the highest paid CPL player, I think barely cracks the league minimum in MLS, if that. And, you know, even the league minimum of MLS is what, 80K? In Vancouver, 80K is not getting you very far. You know, you're, you're going to have to rent your house. You're going to have to, you know, you're not getting very far on 80K in Vancouver, for example. So if someone's like living in, say, Ottawa and they're making like 10K, like how far is that going to get them? You know, like they need this representation. It just feels too bad that it's been recognized by A, the Canada, like I think Labor Association or, you know, the Union Association, B, by FIFPRO, like the official FIFA union representing every major league in the world, yet the CPL, for whatever reason, just hasn't come to, to recognize it. Well, yeah, yesterday on the press conference, it was, it was labeled a proposed players union. And I think when you have that kind of recognition, it's, it's maybe a little difficult to see how it's still proposed. Obviously, you know, in terms of, in terms of the league's eyes, you know, they haven't had that, that official, you know, kind of connection between the two of them. And, and it, there was a lot of conversation about how, Oh, well, we were, we, we've been in contact with the PFA can, but we were speaking with the players when it came to negotiations. It's kind of like, are those not the same things at the end of the day? So it's, it's interesting to see the stancing from the league there and, and obviously, you know, you're in a position right now where, where the players don't necessarily have a, a, a ton of leverage because you're just, you're hoping to return to play. And, and to a certain extent, you just kind of have to have to take what you can get. But I think as the league continues to evolve and hopefully with a, a full 2021 season, there, there's a point of wrecking there where the, the dynamic between the players and the league needs to, needs to change for, for the better. Yeah. Well, it, it... I'd like to see it just see, I don't know. I, I just doesn't feel like it's as much of a threat as it's made out to be. I feel like there should be dialogue there. There should be sitting down with each of the, the big, the big parties and just talking about what either side wants. It just feels like, it feels like it, there's no need to be threatened by the idea of a union. And like, even if you don't like what the union is doing, it doesn't harm you to sit down and listen. And at least, you know, cause the thing is with fans, they're always going to back with the players. I feel like that's just natural. I feel like in every, every league in the world, obviously some fans will turn on players and whatnot, but it feels like in a battle of players versus owners, it always feels like the fans are going to side with, you know, the players for the most part. So it just feels like, you know, taking on the players and without the league, the, without the players, the league is nothing technically. Obviously the owners, you know, you can't, you, you, you can't, sit back and say they've done nothing They're, the investment they've put in the soccer in this country has been very helpful and you, you know the commitment they've shown has been very useful and I don't, I don't think we should downplay 
you know, maybe downplay what they've done either. But at the same time, like, it's just not – it just doesn't feel right to be going after the players when the players already have such little leverage. And without them, the league is nothing. You, you know, if you're not signing players, your league may as well go bankrupt. And if your players aren't good, like, no one's going to watch your league. So I just feel like treating the players well is, is something that, you know, it's going to come back and it's going to help you. And we see that in MLSPA when MLS threatened to lock out its players you know, before the MLS is back and there's a huge storm and all the fans were going up against the league and the league really had a rough couple of days. And I think, you know, the CPL as well, like people are going to defend the players, especially within the, you know, within the CPL. So I just think it's, it's a bit, you know, it just feels so unnecessary. I feel like they should, the CPL sh- or at least the owner should sit down with the PFA can. It sounds like, you know, it just could be benefit beneficial for, for all parties, but at the same time, you know, to kind of pivot, pivot towards kind of some of the health and safety talk for whatever reason, you know, despite not negotiating with the PFA can off to give credit to, to the CPL, the health protocols are, are really, they look solid. I don't know, Sam, if you had a chance to, to see some of the health protocols that they, they outlined or. Well, yeah, very, very thorough in terms of testing. I believe uh, players are going to be tested. It sounds like kind of in the, in, in the process of going from home markets to being fully settled in the Charlottetown bubble, players are going to be tested up to five times and at different stages, you know, kind of in their travel and set up in those bubbles. So very thorough in terms of that. Lots of consultation done with both local authorities, um, you know, the Canadian government, just really trying to nail everything down. And then also, you know, the teams flying um, on – charters to the destination so really kind of controlling the you know the the group and and there was a lot of talk about very much like we heard the white caps reference bubbles within bubbles so you know players and and team groups are going to very much stick to themselves and there's not going to be you know players aren't going to be going and hanging out on the main street in charlottetown like it is it is a proper kind of Kind, kind of big summer camp setup that they're they're going to evoke and yeah in terms of you know we can we can level some criticisms towards the league in terms of you know the the player league interactions but in terms of getting and i mean i think i said this earlier on the show in terms of getting health and safety right and really nailing down every step of the process it seems like no stone has been left unturned and obviously that's you know really positive and you you hope that as a league, they can set an example in terms of, you know, going about this in the right way. Yeah. And I think it's just good to see how, yeah, thorough. I think that's a good word to put things like, for example, as of last weekend for 14 days, people are isolating in market. Like they're already self isolating in MLS. You heard of, you know, or, you know, even in the NWSL with that whole Orlando pride, snafu what happened is like a few days before they had to leave players went to a bar picked up the virus spread it to their team all right they're out and obviously for dallas no one there were there were rumors and they were shot down by the players that there was some sort of issue similar to that but at the same time like yes they weren't going to bars but for whatever reason the virus slipped into the team and you know maybe they weren't as careful as they should be and it's good to hear that the cpl is you know already self-isolating already doing they have two tests they have to pass the test to travel once they're there five day bubble within teams where they can train but they have to do two tests and pass those and then they're clear whereas 
MLS, what was it? You, you, you were able to, you didn't have to self-isolate. You flew in. You only had to do one test and quarantine for like 24 hours and then join the rest of the bubble. And yeah, it was just, you know, it was too, the bubble was too open at the end. And now once everyone was in, they closed it really well, full, you know, full credit to MLS for not getting a huge spike in cases, despite having two teams, you know, get hit hard by the virus. But in the CPL, just looking at that plan, it makes so much more sense to have that whole, you know, two weeks out of market, charter plane, five days of isolation, and then opening the bubbles. So I think that, you know, for that full, you know, full credit. Yeah, it was, it was the first uh, league bubble solution I've seen where it felt like every question in terms of health and safety, there was a, a very coherent answer. So there was always, you know, and I think in other leagues, yeah, like the MLS, it was like, well, what if this happens? And there wasn't necessarily a clear and concise answer. <laughs> Whereas in the press conference yesterday, it was every time there was a question about health and safety, it was like, yeah, this is what we have in mind. This is what we're going to be doing. And so that was very reassuring. Yeah. And there are still questions like what happens if someone gets the virus in the first round of testing or in the second round? Sure. And I guess to be fair, if in the first round, the team isolates, they maybe delay the tournament or, you know, something, or they travel later and play their games later. If it's in the bubble, they just isolate extra until everyone tests negative. But, you know, besides that, I think that's fair for everyone. Like, you know, getting the virus is just not, a. <laughs> if you, if you end up getting the virus in the, within the league, it's never an easy solution, you know, as we've seen in all leagues, but I guess, you know, kind of to, to pivot to, to, to some of the, the talk here to round off and then we'll, we'll finish off with the special, special interview for, 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 for you listeners to, to, to feast your, your ears on that we, that I did with Taryn Campbell of Pacific FC a few weeks ago. It's, you know, it's still relevant. He talked a lot about just bobble, you know, how he feels, you know, just him as a player. It was just a fun interview to do. So we'll, we'll leave that with the last 20 minutes of his, you know, of that audio, but, for you know, also one tidbit of, of press conference news before we maybe go into our tier lists for the the tournament is, it sounds like the there's going to be a Canadian Championship. I mean, Axel Schuster, I, I think I asked the question back in June. It was I asked him like, have you been in contact with the CSA about you know a potential Canadian Championship? Absolutely, the plan is to have one. We're think like we've been in discussions and. Klanikin said as much yesterday someone asked them a similar question like is that and he's like oh you know it sounds like it's going to happen in the fall once the CPL season so Sam Canadian championship well yeah I, be- I, I believe the word was from Klanikin that um all he's planning that all CPL teams will participate in the Canadian championship and the question was kind of framed like oh because you're doing this solution you probably won't be participating and he was like no we have every intention to and it sounds like in terms of setting up this tournament, there's probably been some back and forth with kind of ensuring that both could happen. And so, yeah, it seems like things are pointing towards a, you know, a later fall kind of setup and, and how all the puzzle pieces are going to fit in. Obviously it remains to be seen, but um, you know, again, selfishly from our perspective and from, you know, a Canadian soccer fans perspective, the idea of having, a you know a full-fledged or some version of the canadian championship is exciting and and i think the prospect of mls teams matching up against cpl teams is always always super fun fun. i mean we we experienced that in a bit of a negative sense (laughs) last year i mean it was it it was a couple tough days 
um, you know, to be around the white caps because the, the feeling was, was one of dejection for sure. But at the same time, it makes for great theater. And uh, so the prospect of having that this fall is very exciting. And yeah, I can't really don't have a ton more to add because we just don't know what it's going to look yeah. like yet, but, but cool. obviously exciting. Yeah. Well, obviously it's going to be a limited one this year. There's only going to be the three MLS teams in the eight, you know, championship teams and obviously i'm team chaos like in the future yeah, you don't you don't get the you don't get the minnows the same way you would maybe in other well, years and i'm team chaos i feel like every province should be able to send amateur sides and even i, I would be all for you and Absolutely. usl2 usl1 like obviously with the new bc premier coming in a, it will supposed to come next year ontario has a premier now the plsq like i want to see teams like the tss rovers the victoria yeah. highlanders i want to see you know, I want to see the the Vaughn Azuri. I want to see, like, you know, I want to see the Oakville Blue Devils. Like, I want to see, like, a 64-team, like, amateur side start early, moving up to the big teams coming in, like, in the round of 32 and playing these teams. Because how huge would that be for, like, the TSS Rovers? Like, you know, to be playing, like, I don't know, the, the Vancouver Whitecaps at Swan Guard for a Canadian championship. Like, how awesome would that be to have – the Swan Guardians behind the gold, cheering them on. I mean, a lot of them are Whitecaps fans. That would be really conflicting to, <laughs> conflicting to endure. But how awesome would it be to have that chaos in the future? But for now, I think an 11 team, maybe add in a 12th team for balance. You know, I don't know, maybe a League One Ontario team or something. Yeah. Figure out a solution to get the teams balanced because 11 isn't a group, isn't a pretty number. I've been honest or I don't know it looks like you're about to interject here well well, what I was going to say it's not necessarily in terms of uh, the balance but uh just I I wonder if you're trying to put myself in the mind of someone say with the Vancouver Whitecaps and you're looking at the the positives and negatives of having a much wider group of teams and so from one perspective it's like hey do we really want to go you know play at Swan Guard against TSS Rovers and there's maybe, you know, some negatives to that. But I think at the same time, I'm thinking from a player development and a player recruitment perspective, the possibility of seeing, you know, young players or unheralded players up against higher competition than they would normally face creates a massive opportunity to evaluate guys that you maybe haven't had a good look at or, or just haven't had the chance to see in live game action. So I think, you know, it's an not only is it something that like personally excites us because we like the prospect of those kind of matchups, but it also creates a real possibility for, you know, the whole breadth and depth of Canadian soccer to really develop at a wider level. Cause you're going to get to see those, those players tested in a way they're maybe not getting tested at the moment. Yeah. And I just think it would be huge for grassroots to have those sorts of cup games. There's something magical about, in Europe when you support a fifth division team or basically a bunch of, basically just a bunch of amateurs, you know, in the eighth division, getting a chance to push for the FA cup. Like I love that idea of how the, I think the Coupe de France in France, so like the equivalent of the FA cup, I think there's something like 2000 teams play in it each year. Like how awesome is that? That 2000 teams get to play in a tournament like that. So basically as long as you're semi-pro, you get to play. Like that's or like amateur you got to play like that's so cool I, I I think that's like you know obviously maybe I don't know if I'd put VMSL in maybe we honestly the div, some of the div one teams are pretty good like 
you could maybe start like way back with the VMSL teams and work your way up. So maybe there's a chance of a team, but I'm honestly more for all the amateurs, get more youngsters involved in this kind of thing, make the Canadian championship something you can grow up and aspire to, to try to win. I just think for that. And I think one thing I did want to touch on before we move on is it's, it is interesting to see the timing of the CPL's announcement for the Canadian championship, just because I think if the CPL's tournament was a month earlier, it would be perfect because MLS is planning to start, I think, August 22nd. And for the first phase until mid-September, Canada teams don't look like they're going to be leaving Canada, which would be perfect for the Canadian championship so, you know, with the CPL. So I think that the fact that, you know, by the time this October plan hits, the yeah. MLS teams might be going to the U.S. It's a bit of a missed opportunity there for sure. It's, it's a missed opportunity because honestly, you could even like – do some sort of Uber bubble in the, in the city for all the Canadian teams and the CPL teams and play MLS games, Canadian championship games, and heck even CPL games while you're there. Like, honestly, play friendly is like do some sort of Uber bubble. I mean, that's yeah, maybe the, I'm the, just the mega speaking, bubble. Maybe I'm speaking nonsense here, but Hey, it's an idea is an idea, you know, like it feels like that could have been a thing. I think, I think that's just crazy enough to actually make sense. I think that, you know, that's uh, obviously logistics wise and, and league interest wise, there's tons of conflicts there, but, but in a hypothetical sense, at least that would have been, would have been awesome to see. But yeah, say, um, in, say in Vancouver, you know, we got to go cover each game. And- <laughs> well, yeah. So selfishly come to, come to Vancouver and, uh, and yeah, we get to cover all the teams that wouldn't be half bad, but looking at the actual teams in the CPL tournament, uh, we were kind of discussing this before the show, but if we had to, you know, kind of tier the teams in terms of expectations and and what we're expecting to see going in, Alex, what would your kind of your tier list be if we had to do a top tier, a middle tier, and a bottom tier? How do you want me to do this? Like tier? Do you want me to give a prediction? Do you want to give me like well, best I think, case, worst case? I, I think that we're going to probably dive more into the team specifically and the players as we go on and we draw closer and closer to the restart. But yeah, I would say just in terms of, in terms of kind of like best case, worst case, where, where you see the, the, the team's overall quality stacking up. All right. Well, I guess give me teams here. Throw it at me. Well, I think let's start with the two we kind of referenced as, you know, the, the top teams from last year, Cavalry and, and Forge. Well, I think Forge, for them, it's final or bust. Talk, having talked to Forge and having been a chance to, you know, when I'm in Toronto, be a little more closer to what Forge is doing. I think for them, it's championship or bust. They lost Forges. They kept the re- most of their core. You know, they they played together for a long time. This new notice system is very efficient. Like for them, they're, they're, I think they should comfortably get out of the first round. Second round, you never know in a, in a round like that. You're tired, injuries, who knows what things are going to look like in that point after playing that many games in a short time span. But for them, definitely final or bust. I think with them, they are a deep team, so it's hard to see their worth, worst case because it would really have to take some spectacular injuries to maybe see them depleted because they they built up good depth all over the pitch. So, you know, I think for them, it's definitely final or bust and worst case, I could see them maybe surprisingly bow out in the second round, but it's hard to see them not making it out of the first round. And Cavalry, I think with them, it's hard to tell because they're such a well-coached team. But at the same time, 
They just lost pieces. Some of the really intriguing pieces they signed might not even be there since they're internationals. So for Cavalry, it kind of, for them, maybe not as much final or bust, but if it isn't a, if they don't make the final, it isn't a good tournament, but it will mostly depend on who they, because obviously teams now, they've been training with their full squad. They just haven't announced any rosters. So once we see who they announced as who is actually here, who we signed, once we see their roster, it'll be easier to tell where we, where I think Cavalry can be, but I think they're going to maybe be a team that gets to the second round, but surprisingly finishes third or fourth and doesn't make the final. Yeah. The one thing I just wanted to kind of add in there and that we heard in the, in the presser yesterday was that pretty much at this point, any players that are not in Canada you know, that have been signed or, or for whatever reason just aren't in the country at the moment. If they're not, they haven't already made that move, it sounds like they're kind of out of this tournament format because by the time you, you know, quarantine for 14 days in Canada and then go through whatever process you need to go through, like every other player in the CPL, it's just doesn't logistically make sense. So if you're not already training with your team, it's you're probably out and that could have greater effect on some teams than others. Well, it's important to note that not all the players were announced and some mm-hmm. were announced. So basically after, it's important to note that a bunch of players signed in January and February were announced and didn't make it. And my, some of them did come like, for example, Marshall on how Alex Marshall on Halifax, one of the big signings of the off season, he made it in time. He's going to play, but you know, some, some of the players, no one knows their future because the club hasn't officially released their rosters yet. But then some like Pacific, Alejandro Diaz, he's been there since February training. So he's yeah. fine. So it's honestly, it it's not, on, it's, so it's not just down to the time at which you signed. It's also just kind of how being here. Did you travel? Yeah. Did you wait for the pandemic? And honestly, there's some players that just haven't been announced yet. Like I think on Forge, it, they made a huge stir on Twitter. They posted a video of their training and they accidentally leaked a part of the video that showed Mo Babuli training for them. And he trained for York early in the year. And he's, you know, he's a, he's been around. He's a Canadian player that people know and they haven't announced him yet. So you think, okay, if Mo Babuli hasn't been announced for Forge, who, what other players are hiding in these CPL camps? Because they're only in phase two and no media can really go cover the team. So it's just kind of what the team gives in terms of access. So for all we know, we could hear some really interesting signings. So that is full disclaimer that might impact our predictions or what we think of certain teams and whatnot. But yeah, I guess yeah. give some more teams. Well, yeah, so, so kind of with that disclaimer in place, uh, two teams that have certainly been intriguing in the offseason and kind of seem to be trending in an upward direction, but obviously we're going to have to see how things all, all stack out at the end of the day. York 9 and Pacific. That's a tough one because I think they're both winners of the offseason. I mean, there was the, the two big free agents in the CPL were Marco Bustos and Michael Petrasso, one Louis Benangoyet as well, all from Valor. Like, talk about a tough time for Valor. They lost their three best players to via free agency or three of their best players via free agency. And, well, obviously they lost uh, Tyler Retardo to go to Chile slash Europe. So, they, you know, Valor obviously got hit hard by free agency this offseason. But the fact that Pacific picked up Bustos, who arguably – he just didn't hit the ground running last year for Pacific uh, for, for Valor. He started, he came only in May after the season started. And then the second half of the season, he was electric. So for Pacific to sign guys like Bustos and Tamamer Jigur and just so many players, we, we'll go more in depth in it, but they've signed a lot of big players and similar with York Petrasso. And, you know, 
they've just really both teams have really improved on what they've started last year. And last year they were kind of on that fringes as that third and fourth team already. And obviously we don't know if they'll be in that forge cavalry echelon until we see them play. So for them, it's kind of worst case. They don't make it out of the first round. I think that's very possible because we don't, we just don't know enough about them, but realistically, I think they can both be finals finalists. I think they can make it to that final four and that kind of be my predicted final four. I think it's, you know, I think most people's predicted final four is going to be Cavalry, Pacific, York, and Forge. And I could easily see a Forge Pacific final or a York Pacific final or a York Cavalry. Like maybe Forge is kind of that team you feel is going to be there, but I could see Forge in one of those three other teams easily just because of the signings they've made this off season. All right. And then moving on to two teams that I guess would be be a little less, you know, boomer bust potential. Maybe it's a, it's a little more case of you know what you're getting and, and, and there's some consistency there, but maybe not quite the, the top end output. Uh, Halifax Wanderers and FC Edmonton. I think if you're going to go for a dark horse and you like to bet, I'd say Edmonton is a very good tournament bet. Just because the way they play, Jeff Paulus has them playing like a, they have a really good defensive spine and that was the one thing last year. I think they're one of the top defensive teams in the league. Obviously, Amir Didich got called up to the Canada national team and nearly signed for the Whitecaps. You know, obviously, they didn't have the room for him and they didn't want to stunt his minutes and they preferred to just leave him in Edmonton. Honestly, he could be in the Whitecaps within a year. Honestly, from what we saw at training camp, he was excellent. So they've got the bet, one of the best spines in the league defensively. They just needed to figure out how to score goals and they've, they've signed some players to, to try to fix that. Even you think like Hanson Boakai coming back and, you know, they've already got Easton Ongaro and they've got Prince Amanda. And there's the one player, he escapes my mind. He's this number 10 that they signed. I'll, I'll, I'll have to bring it up for the preview when, when we go more in depth, but they've signed some attacking pieces. So I think Edmonton easily, again, kind of that they, maybe not in terms of, name recognition of the signings they aren't in that pacific york tier they haven't like won the offseason but i think they had a sneaky good offseason and that's all you need and they already have a spine so with them i could easily see them being a dark horse and just kind of grind your way through the first round grind your way through the second oh my god how is edmonton in the final the same time i feel like they could flame out just if they can't score goals i think that could easily be a case of we won twice we drew four times and that just wasn't enough for some reason or you know or something like we won once and drew four times and that wasn't enough and that's kind of where that they're at they're kind of on the fringes and if I, I think we look at Halifax they're very similar they've made some underrated signings they maybe their spine wasn't as solid as Edmonton's and they did make some work to fix that think of a guy like Louis Belangoyet incredible signing as a number six for them but for, again, I feel like Edmonton, dark horse. I don't know if they'll have the f- potential to go as far as I feel Edmonton could, but I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if they surprised in the first round and maybe went to the second before flaming out. And then so rounding out the field, we've got two teams with, I think, still a ton of question marks and, and, and maybe teams we're not expecting a ton from in this tournament, but certainly you know could have a few surprising results, Valor FC and Atletico Ottawa. Well, Valor, to start with Valor, they're a tough one to grade because they were actually not a bad team last year. From what people you look at, you just feel like they were so bad just because they had this cloud of gray just constantly over their team in the second half of the year. But they weren't the worst team in the league. That was, well, that was Halifax. But, you know, Halifax made a lot more improvements. They didn't lose as many players like Valor did. Like Valor lost like four of their best players. But then again, they signed a guy like James Pantemis 
you know, they, they, they signed, you know, Brett Levi's and Fraser aired whose white caps fans are really familiar with, you know, they're good players. Like Levi's, I feel like could be a top five CPL player. if he's fit? And I think he's, he was a good MLS player when he was fit. It's with him. It's fitness. It's hundred percent fitness. So with Valor, it's tough. Honestly, for them, they could, they're a good team. I don't think they're a bad team, but they have the most to prove. And I think for them, that could get to them or that could help them. Either that pressure really pushes them to, to be mediocre and finish seventh or eighth, or they're like, okay, people think we're not good and we're actually pretty good. Like, let's make this, let's use our momentum and make a run. And with Valor, I don't know if I see fi- final potential on them, but I could see them pushing to that second round. But again, for them, it's going to be how do they handle that pressure? How do they handle the scrutiny that's going to be on them after a rough off season? And, you know, just kind of, you know, prove they're going to have a lot to prove. I think they're the team, if you're looking at it, you know, Forge and Cavalry have maybe the least to prove, but the most to prove at the same time, just because of how good Pacific and York have the most to prove in terms of, okay, we want to show that we're a top team, but we're not there yet. But Valor may have the most to prove in terms of, okay, we're not a complete, you know, disaster of an organization like some people think we are. And, you know, we can play good soccer and we can be a good team. And then Ottawa, they're playing with house money. They're an expansion team because of the pandemic. Signings were tough for them. They, they're missing a lot of key guys they would have surely had by now. And, you know, I don't think they're going to round off the roster in the way they hope. There are some really good pieces on there. Like Ben Fisk was lights out for Pacific last year. You know, I'm very curious to see how someone like 16-year-old Antoine Coupland can do. And, you know, just some of their players that they signed, international players, look very intriguing. I just – with them, it's just kind of anything more than eighth is a, is a bonus at this point. Just because, A, they don't have the – well, obviously Pacific fired a coach, but, you know, Pamuka has been really good for them so far. But all the other teams have continuity and head, head coach, continuity in players, familiarity with the league, familiarity with each other. Ottawa, besides some of their players, has none of that. Their coach is an international from out of the league. You know, obviously they have some of the Ottawa Fury players, but they're playing in the USL. For them, it's just win games, show that we can be a half-decent team, and they're playing with house money. They're going to be one where – pandemic permitting 2021 if they make the signings they want they can make with their pedigree as the Atletico Madrid brand they could be a top top team but this year it's more just don't finish eighth and just kind of go as far as you can so and I guess two two final notes from me on those two teams it very much feels like Valor Valor is going to have the same vibe as a Vancouver Whitecaps and an FC Cincinnati in this tournament where it's like hey, don't forget about us. We can make some noise and we can mess some things up for other teams if we put it together. And I think, yeah, they've got some, some players that, that can certainly be game changers on the right day. And so I'm kind of, kind of excited to watch them uh, just from, a, you know, from a fact that we don't know exactly what to expect. And it could be a real mixed bag and that's always kind of fun. And then also big shout out to uh, Whitecaps, product and and still property of the white caps john franco fashionary who maybe we'll yeah. we'll get to see here or there for atletico ottawa so that would be great for the from white a caps. vancouver specific perspective that's uh something to keep an eye out for for sure well just important to note that his loan is until september so he could return i'm curious to see what happens if the canadian championship plays like would because- he play against the white caps could we well, see some- his loan might be done by then? So I'm curious to see if yeah. they renew it and he plays against the Whitecaps or if he comes back and gets minutes. 
because the Whitecaps could, you know, maybe throw some Canadian kids out there. So that was like, okay, so this is completely, this is completely off topic. But I remember a couple of years ago, I, I think this was in the FA Cup or maybe it was even just in the Premier League. But at one point, and uh, shout out to Bournemouth, unfortunately, too bad that they went down because I, I really Born enjoyed cherries. watching them play. But I think at one point they had three or four players on loan from Chelsea at their club. Oh, and they couldn't play. And so Chelsea. when it was Bournemouth against Chelsea, they were missing, Bournemouth was missing like half their starting 11, it felt like, because all those Chelsea loans were unavailable for that match because it was written into their contract. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see if Fatchinari's loan gets extended and maybe we end up with a matchup, what happens there? So that's just something to track. Yeah. It'll, it'll take a few months to flesh out, but maybe we'll get to see it. Well, it's curious to see what, if, if there are conditions like that in a loan, because I know that is, that, that's something that we see in Europe, mostly between within leagues itself. Yeah, which makes when, sense. When, when, like out of leagues, it is prevalent, but like it's so rare. I mean, obviously if you're, it's rare you see a loan between two Champions League sides. I mean, technically if Inter Milan played Manchester United or, or was, what was it? If Roma played Manchester United, Chris Smalling was on loan technically. Like, would have been, and Chris Smalling was a huge piece of Roma's backline this year. Like, I would have been curious to see what happens there. But it's curious to see in Canada where the transfer game isn't as nuanced as it is in Europe where, I don't know if, if I remember once on The Athletic, they had an article showing like, interviewing agents to show like how complicated contract negotiation in Europe is because with how fierce the competition, they have to write the most ridiculous clauses into the contracts. And it's just such a wild jungle, wild West over there. So obviously Canada is not as much of a wild West. So I'll be curious to see, but I guess on that note, we'll leave you to, to listen our Taryn Campbell audio. We went a little longer this week than we have in recent episodes, but you know, again, if you'd like to listen to it, we'll, we'll have the audio there. I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. And if not, shout out to myself. I wrote an article on the Taryn Campbell. So if you prefer to read, read the interview instead of audio form, you can just Google Taryn Campbell BTS Fan City. It should pop up either in the Google News tab or on the front page. But on that note, Sam, where can people find you before we, we leave them to the interview? Well, yeah, you can find me at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter and at uh, 86forever.com. And I just want to say that I thought it was a, a terrific interview with Campbell, really informative and is an interesting guy to chat with. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned to check that out. And, yeah, find me on Twitter at Alex Gungarus. I got BTS Fan City. You know, btsfancy.com, you know the drill, writing white caps. I might do some MLS's back reviews as we wait for the white caps to come back going to do some CPL stuff, maybe previews, interviews, blah, blah, blah. More Canada stuff, of course. And yeah, see what I can come up with these next few weeks. So stay tuned and enjoy the Campbell interview. Yeah, things have been good. I mean, it's better than, better than anything, right? So I'm happy about that. Yeah. I guess kind of to start off, how did you cope with the quarantine and kind of how did you, you know, stay in a good set of mind and kind of wait out, wait it out till you're able to start training again? Um, I kind of just uh, self-motivated myself, just told myself that uh, thing, like, things will get better from the whole COVID and that the, the tournament will happen eventually. So that just kind of self-motivated me and I just uh, stayed fit for the time I was in training and was working out. So I just did uh, small things like that. And then now we're back to training, which is really good. So starting to get into the, the training field, which is really good. How's that been to, to get back to training kind of? 
you know, obviously started slow, small groups, but how's that kind of been to get towards full team training again, just being out there with your team? Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, as you said, we were at the beginning, it was more so just individual work, and that was obviously tough because we all want to play, but even just doing uh, individual work was really good for myself. But as things went on, uh, we're back into, I think, like eight people or ten people in a group, so um, we're starting to do more, a lot more uh, things within the team to structure ourselves and uh, get ready for the tournament, so that's really good. Mm-hmm. And what are your, your thoughts on a potential tournament? Obviously, there's no... You know, the league hasn't made anything official yet, but what are your thoughts maybe on something similar to what we're seeing in MLS and just having a hub city tournament plan? Uh, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I obviously want to play. I think almost everyone in the league would want to play. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's a really a good idea from the league, and I think it's something that we should do, especially here in Canada. Uh, I don't think uh, it's like you're talking about the MLS. Uh, that could be a whole different situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, for them, but I think here in Canada things are a lot better. So I think have, uh, during the tournament would be a fine idea to do. And do you, do you feel safe considering you're in Canada? Because you know, obviously in MLS we've seen a lot of, you know, COVID yeah. tests within teams. You think uh, you you confident in in the protocol that that will be in place for such a tournament? Yeah, I am. I, I feel completely uh, safe. So yeah, I I'd, I'd, uh, I would say I, I want that tournament to happen. So I agree with uh, with it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, one concern about, well, one one good reason for, you know, returning, obviously the players want to play, you guys want to play, the fans want you to play, but also just to kind of capitalize on the momentum of the league in the first year, kind of as someone who's been in the league so far, what have your impressions of the CPL been and has it kind of, how has it been compared to your expectations going in as well? Uh, the first year was really good. Uh, I think uh, the way the league was structured, um, they did a really good job. Um, I think last year for myself, I had, I did a I had a good season. So just uh, from past season and playing there, I took a lot of experience, and I'm hoping I can bring it into the. If there's a season this year, I'm hoping I can bring it into that and just expose myself. But yeah, uh, a league like this is really good, especially for uh, young Canadian players like myself. It really gives gives you an opportunity as a young player to showcase yourself. And uh, last year I was able to do that, and I'm. Um, and speaking of last year, obviously, especially in the fall season, you had a bit of a, you know, a breakout, especially amongst CPL fans. You 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 went on a little run of scoring form. How did you know? How, how did that feel? Just to you know, get that run of form and get your name out there, but also, you know, what what did you kind of attribute to that to that success? You know, was it just kind of it felt like you you know the the hard work you were doing earlier in the season was just you know starting to pay off? Kind of how how was that that whole you know, second half of the season, kind of what mindset did it put you in? Um, yeah, my mindset was just, uh, well, coming into the season, uh, I knew last year, I knew that I wouldn't, uh, I, I didn't think I would be uh, such a big player for the team. I mean, we had Marcus Haber, who was a really big sign for us. So I knew with him being on the team, it would be a fight for me to get into the starting lineup all the time. And uh, as the season went on a little bit, I just thought it's more of a comfortable role playing the number nine uh, game in game out and then once I scored my first goal I think it was against Halifax that just boosted my confidence uh, up a lot and then from there I just uh, as uh, maintained that uh, belief and confidence that I had in myself and uh, I was able to showcase myself just from having confidence and believing mm-hmm. 
you mentioned it there. You, you know, you got you got to play more in that that pure number nine role as the season went along. But you did get some cameos out in the wing and down in the midfield. And from those, you know, those three main positions that you played, kind of what were the what are the differences you found, and which one are you kind of you're most comfortable with? Is it as a number nine? You think? You feel? Yeah, I like playing uh, as a number nine the most. I think that's my my best position, my best I can bring on my best attributes playing there. Um, I did find myself on the wide sometimes. Uh, I I used to play out in the wide area when I was younger growing up, but uh, I'm I'm a lot more comfortable playing centrally. I'm able to play out wide and take defenders on, but my biggest strengths are playing down the middle. And you know what. Speaking to to some of those strengths, how would you describe your play style as a number nine? You know, you, you obviously you're a big guy, but you move well for a big guy. You know, you got a you got a good you got a good touch. You got you got some power on your your boots. Kind of how would you describe yourself as a number nine? To you know, people are kind of looking at you know who is Taryn Campbell as a number nine. Um, I told people that uh, I'm a number nine who likes to combine, hold up the ball for the team, be very reliable. Uh, yeah, I'm very good at that. I like that a lot. Um, making runs in behind, even if it's not for myself, uh, I think I can drag, drag defenders and open up uh, spaces for my teammates. So those are uh, following me and my two best strengths. Then obviously, uh, like you were talking about my power, I think I'm a very uh, powerful player. Also, I'm, I have pace on me, so those things come into play as well. You you mentioned the power. One one interview last year that you know kind of stuck out with people around the league was one where you know you were described as a Canadian Hulk. You know like the the Brazilian player. You know how is he is he a player you would compare yourself to? Are there any players you know maybe not not just Hulk that you inspire yourself off of? Kind of as a as a stylistic comparison, let's say. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always gotten the, the Canadian Hulk twenty one, but uh. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can see the resemblance a little bit in the shape of his body and how powerful he is and the way he plays. Uh, I could also see a resemblance towards uh, Lukaku and uh, Josie Altidore is a very good one. So yeah, I would have to say players, players like that. And, you know, another big number nine that Canadian fans might know as well, as you mentioned him earlier, Marcus Haber. You know, how how much did, did Marcus help you last year? You know, just obviously... It's tough. You're competing against each other, but how did that? You how did that competition? You know, was he giving you tips and tricks? How how was that relationship for you uh, last year? Yeah, uh, Marcus is obviously a very experienced player. So coming in, I kind of just uh, with, I I asked him uh, just small details about playing as a striker and uh, holding up the ball and ways to open up my body when I have a defender on my back. So just small things like that. I was looking at for pointers from him, and he helped me a lot with that. So. That was really good for him. Marcus is a really good guy. Mm-hmm. Another, you know, another guy that a lot of people, you know, talked about last year as well is Tristan Borges. And you know, when you'd ask him about you, he'd say, you know, you know, you know, you guys know each other. You're, you're good friends. How, how is that? You know, once you start to pour in the goals in that second half, how is that battle with Borges, especially considering you know him and. You know, has his success so far, and you know his golden boot, and then his transfer. Has that you know kind of motivated you and pushed you for this upcoming season? Yeah, of course. I think uh, as a as a striker, any striker, I think you want to score goals. That's one of your jobs to do as a striker. So, of course, my uh, my goal is to score as many goals as I can this upcoming season. Yeah, it was fun battling with uh, Tristan last year. He's a really good player. 
uh, yeah, it was really fun battling with him last year. It was really enjoyable. And, you know, part of that battle, it kind of, you know, it put you guys out there. And as a result, you, you know, you got to make the, you made the Olympic uh, team shortlist, the 50-man shortlist. You know, obviously now with the Olympics in jeopardy, they would have gone on in a, I guess in a month or so, but obviously it's postponed to next year. You know, how, what would it mean to you to, to make an Olympic team? And, you know, have you had any conversations of, with head coach Mauro Biello about the selection process? And, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you feel about your, your chances to, to make that team next year? Uh, yeah, I, it, it would mean a lot to me. I mean, uh, playing for your country is completely different from club, and it's just another feeling getting to represent your own country. Um, I think the last time I was able to do that was at the U-17 level. So it's been quite some time. And I was really grateful when I saw I made the short list. Uh, and it was unfortunate to hear that uh, the, the tournament and the Olympics, everything wasn't happening until next year. So hopefully I can I can work hard this year uh, and showcase myself again and prove prove to people that uh, I can play for play for the, the Olympic team. That would be uh, a dream of mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were named on that short list along with, the, you know, a handful of your Pacific teammates which kind of, I guess, in a way, it's kind of been indicative of, you know, Rob Friend and his, he's really given youth a a chance with Pacific. How, kind of, how do you feel yourself fitting into that youth movement? And, you know, how how has that been being at Pacific and just having that younger team and, you know, seeing, seeing young Canadian kids get a chance with Pacific? Uh, Yeah, it was really good. Um, Actually, I know a lot of the guys from, even before from Pacific, some from uh, Vancouver, with the Whitecaps Academy and stuff like that. So I think uh, as a young player, just and especially at Pacific, it just gives it gives us all such a really good opportunity to, to showcase our talent and get out of this league and get to places that we really want to be at, whether it's any any higher league, you can name it. But yeah, I think just uh, Pacific and what they've done here has been really good of bringing in uh, good young talent, talent and trying to develop them into better professional players all around and uh, I think uh, with some of the guys here even last year and coming in now for preseason things, how things have been going you can just see with most of the young guys and uh, how they've from, uh, developed from last year and uh, this year so I think uh, if the tournament does happen this year I think uh, all of our young players will be just a lot more better and just more professional in the game the way we play and how's it been being part of that Pacific environment? I mean, one thing that really stuck out to people is how good your guys' crowds were, you know, just the environment, how beautiful the city is. Kind of how has that just been being a Pacific player and getting to play in front of those fans at West Hills and, you know, just living in a, in a city like Victoria? How's that been for you? Yeah, I love it. I really like Victoria. The city is really nice. It's beautiful. It's close to home. I'm from Vancouver, so it's not too bad. Uh and then, yeah, the fans, like you were talking about, were, were unreal game. Like, every every single week that we had a home game, they were, they were always chanting for us, rain and shine. So that was really supportive from them. And then I, I love all my teammates. They're, they're really good guys. So I'm enjoying it a lot here in Victoria. And obviously, to start the, the, the new new year, you guys got a, a new head coach in, in Pamadu Ka. I mean, obviously, you have... You haven't had the chance to play any games, you know, be it preseason or, or regular season. But how has it been, the, the adjustment so far under Pond? How is he as a, a head coach so far for you guys? Uh, I think things have been well so far with Pond. Uh, he's a lot uh, different of a character from Michael, our coach last year. I think Pond is the guy who, who will 
really get on you and we'll make sure uh, you hold yourself accountable. Uh, also, you make sure you hold your teammates accountable. And he's really, he's just a real, a real character, a real person. He's a really good guy. And that's pretty much as much as I can say about him. He's very real and he's always going to want the best out of you. And this is for more from a you know personal standpoint, but with you know with everything that's going on now with the Black Lives Matter protests and you know how how there's been the the push for you know in in light of kind of what's going on in the states and across the world, you know as someone who who who's black himself, how is it important? How important is it to you to be a role model on and off the field when things you know now and when when things come back and how you know helping show that young black kids that there is a path to success and. You know, have you had a chat with it? You know, with someone like Pom Pa, who's one of the old, he's one of the few black head coaches in North America. Kind of how how is that? Is that important to you? And how how's that kind of been for you? Uh yeah. Uh, obviously, everyone can see uh, some of the problems that have been going on in the world, especially with the Black Lives Matter. Um, but yeah, it's just about being a role model. Uh, a role model. Um, uh, me personally, I haven't had too much. Uh, interactions with racism uh so i don't know too much from that uh standpoint but it's as much as it's uh it's really nice to see that uh people are actually starting to want to make a change instead of just saying they would like to make a change so it's nice to see people going out and making a difference and being loud and not staying quiet i've been doing that myself i've been posting on my social media page just about uh said and you know one thing that that's been people you know people have been very happy is about is that players especially players of all colors in Europe and now in North America sports return there you know they've taken a knee they've shown solidarity and you know they've, they've silent protests and, and whatnot when the CPL returns do you think you know you might do something like that yourself just to to show solidarity for the the movement yeah I think so I would want to mm-hmm all right and then I guess kind of returning more towards the the soccer talk to kind of round things off. Obviously now it's you don't know what the season you know it's it's gonna look like when it when it's gonna come out. You have an idea with the tournament and whatnot, but with those in mind, kind of based on what happened, how you how you played last year, what are your, some of your goals and ambitions to you know for this season? Albeit it'll be a a bridge one, but you know nonetheless, what 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 would some of your goals and expectations be? Uh, my expectations and standards for myself. Uh, I want them to be higher than last year, so 
yeah, I just want to build off of last year and what I did last year and make it a whole lot better this year. And uh, that's pretty much my goal. I want to make everything a lot better and cleaner in my play. I want to be more aware, have better awareness and vision towards the game. Uh, then obviously I want to score as much goals as I can. That's my, that's my goal. Do you ever put a number in front of yourself or do you just kind of see game by game and then kind of go from there? Of course, of course. And then, what are some, you know, beyond this season, have you kind of started to envision some goals for the future? You know, do you see yourself maybe try try to push towards a, you know, towards MLS or push for a move abroad or, you know, obviously both is, is an option. Kind of what are your, your goals for the, the next, maybe maybe not too long term of a future, but, a, you know, decent long term future? You know, I think, I think the DPL is a very good, like what I was talking about earlier, it's a very good league for for young Canadian players like myself. And I think if you are a young Canadian player, um, I don't think the TPL is your goal. I think every every young Canadian player would want to push higher to, and reach their full potential. So for me, um, I want to get on the TPL someday. I think it, like I was saying, anyone would as a young player. So my goal would, of course, be the MLS or try going overseas and seeing how things do there. Yeah, that's my goal, and I hope I can fulfill it someday. I guess kind of the last question here would be, you know, the, the CPL, how, how important do you think it is for young Canadian players and young Canadian talent? And, you know, obviously, as you say now, it's, it's, it's seen more as a springboard league, but, you know, how important is it just to have that springboard for a Canadian talent? And is, you know, is, how important is it going to be for the long-term future of the, the sport in this country? Yeah, I think it'll going to be really big. I mean, you can already see, uh, you were talking about Tristan Borges earlier, and he got a move over to Belgium. Um, so you can you can already see players making transfers, which is really good. And of course, over time, I think only more transfers, transfers will happen. And uh, as a young player, uh, that's what you want. You want to you wanna move from, from uh, lower leagues, and you want to fulfill uh, your, your talent and get as high as you can. And before before the whole CPL, there was no CPL last year. There was no there was no home for Canadian players. So like myself, I would have to go over to America or play in the MLS or uh, go overseas. So just having this league here and having it stable and if it works, if it's uh, to stick around, I can only see more Canadian players making moves from it. Well, well, thank you very much, Taryn. I appreciate you, you know, taking the, the time out of the day to. To, to talk to me. That was, that was really good. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Take care and uh, good luck with uh, when the season resumes. Yeah, thanks. Bye. All right, bye-bye.